I'm just so glad that we have reliable information. That you know today when you pulled up your news outlet or your app or something, you knew exactly when the snow was going to fall. You know exactly how much we're going to get, anywhere from 3 to 15 inches, right? You know, give or take minus 4 or 5 inches, you know, who knows? I don't know about you, but when I was trying to figure out what's going to happen, I just, I'm just trying to find an app that knows what it's talking about, you know? I'm trying to figure out if they all agree to some, to some extent. And I don't know about you, I just want to know what to do. If someone would just give me the truth of what's going to happen, then I'll just go do it. But, but when one place says it's going to be three inches and the other one says expect about a half inch starting at 3 p.m., I'm just so confused. And I wonder if other people in the world are as confused about life as I am about the weather, you know? I think, man, it would be nice to get paid to guess at things. So, but, you know, that's, that's not our liberty. I, I, wish the, I wish the Bible had a weather app. That way I knew exactly what was going to happen. Matter of fact, I think it does forecast some of those things. Today we're talking about the Word being reliable, being the truth. When we go to it, we can understand it, we can see it, we can depend on it. And so let's ask the Lord this morning to, to speak His Word. And we, we all know that the Bible is the truth. We want to know for sure. We also want to know it in a way that we can tell our neighbor when they say, well, it's just a great collection of wisdom and Proverbs. We want to know to say, no, it's, it's more than that. So pray with me if you would. Father in heaven, I, I know of no other place that I even desire to go. But when I want to know what's true, I, I come to you. And I don't wanna, when I don't want to know what's right and when I want to know what's wrong, I, I look to your pages, Lord. I look, to, I look to your living word, God, to speak to me. And so I pray, God, today you would help us understand, God, reason and rationale. But also, Lord, I pray you allow your word to speak to us, remind us, encourage us, and convict us. Father, we trust in your word wholly and not just when it benefits us. But, Lord, we need every single word that comes out of your mouth. Lord, that's how we live. That's how we breathe. We ask that you would open our ears and our minds today, Lord, transform our minds part into our hearts in Jesus. Let me pray. All God's people said amen. amen. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So when I was trying to wrap my mind around the idea of uh, we, we know we want to follow this one book, right? It's this, this one book that is authoritative. This one book is inerrant. This one book, one book is infallible. Uh, and this one book is unique, is what we talked about last week. But we also know that the book has to be the truth. But how do we know that? And, and, and how do other people view uh, truth? What, what do they look at it? I think Pilate asked the most important question. Uh, Galatians says that when the fullness of time come, that, that Christ was given on the earth, right? That fullness of time to me, I believe, was when truth was sought out most there was truth actually came, right? That the Word of God um, became flesh. And Jesus came and he answered Pilate's question, what is truth? Because that's important for you and I. Truth is important. What, what is truth? And, and, and what type of 
truth seekers are out there because not everyone believes that the Word of God is the truth. You have people who are agnostic and they don't believe that the truth can be even obtained. They're against the truth, right? They're, they're not for the truth. Truth cannot be known. Then we have rationalists, and that's people who are reasoning with their mind to finally get to a place to say, ah, this might be truth. But the problem is, if we're relying on our mind to understand what truth is, not all of us are sharp knives in the drawer, right? And so, if you're smarter than me, and you have obtained a truth, and you're like, Pastor Scott, this is the truth, and I'm still over here, duh, you know, trying to figure it out, then how do I know which truth to listen to? Because you have reason to a truth, and I've reason to a truth. What's the right, the right truth? And so rationalism says that we ought to use our mind to, to, to conceive truth, and that is, be, is going to be truth. Or positivists, they, they say that truth can only be tested. That you can only get the truth if you apply it to the scientific method. We have empirical data for that. And we are able to test it and prove it and repeat it to be true. And if we cannot do that, then it cannot be the truth. But the only problem is that you can't use scientific method when it comes to my thoughts and my feelings. But I guarantee you that they're true. There are certain things about the body that we have not understood just yet. And, and, and matter of fact, the, the eyeball is one of the mysteries that most... Um, researchers are just blown away by and still yet we don't have any way to test that to be true or even the imagination how in the world do you you apply a scientific method to the imagination can you imagine where it would be if we said we had no imagination we 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 know that that can't be true and then there's the relativists right and these people just simply say this what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me but the problem is, is when I decide that my truth is better than your truth, then whose truth do we abide by? What happens when my truth says your truth is, is stupidity, you know? What do we do then? And so we can't trust that. And the pragmatist, maybe that's some of you in here, says that's only true if it works, if it functions. Then we can count it as truth. But those things are, are, are not the truth. In fact, we have spent most of our lives... Uh, we read papers, right? We read the websites. We read books. We hear, uh, we hear podcasts. We go to conferences, seminars, universities, whatever you might have it. You have all of these things out there for us to learn and to understand what truth might be. But Scripture says that after all of our learning, we still ain't anywhere closer to the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 7 says, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's where we are. In, in fact, the, the horrible thing is in our universities nowadays, nobody wants to talk about the truth. I heard a story about a pr professor. He was in philosophy uh, a, a class. He was teaching this class, and he says, all right, here is the rule of the year. The rule is simply this, that in this class, the bottom line is this. There are no absolutes in this class. No absolutes. What did I say? No absolutes. That's right. There are absolutely no absolutes. And so a student raises his hand and says, are you absolutely sure that there are no absolutes? We live in a confused world. Can you imagine living in a world where there were no absolutes? Can you imagine going to a doctor and you have to get surgery and he says, I think I might cut here. No, 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 no. No, you better know for sure that it's right here. It's not right here, okay? 
get your stuff straight. Can you imagine getting on an airplane and the pilot says, I think this is the button. No, no, no. You better know what button that is. Can you imagine going down here to uh, Sam Alexander and they give you your, your meds and they say, I think this is the right dose. No, no, no. I need to know the right stuff. I need some absolutes. Amen? Don't just guess. But this world, they want, they want to give us these, you know, relative ideas. So what do we mean by truth? What are the constructs of truth? By definition, truth is that which corresponds to what truly is. Uh, we could say it differently. It's a final standard by which reality is measured and to which all things must conform. I'm going to read that again. It took a while for me to write that. It's going to take a while for you to read that. It is a final standard by which reality is measured and to which all things must conform to. It's a standard of why for you and I, whereby we measure the reality of something. In John 8, 32, Jesus says this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you see what Jesus said there? He says, you will know a truth. No, he didn't say that, right? He says, you will know what? The truth. Can I tell you today that there's only one truth? There's only one truth. And any other truth that says there's more than one truth is not the truth. That's what I love about the Word of God. The Word of God makes no bones about it. It claims itself to be the truth. And Jesus is saying this is the truth. And that truth exists. And that truth not only exists, but it can be known. Not just to take his word for it, but you can actually know truth. You can actually experience truth. It can be measured. So what will our standard for knowing truth be? How do we know what truth is? When you're at work and they introduce a, a, a subtle change in the policies, how do you know if what they're asking you to do goes against your belief if you don't know the truth? You're, you're juggling a truth with our government or maybe our culture or maybe your family or maybe something you're learning and you're having to study for school and they introduce to you a truth. How do you know you're not being misled? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but sin is pretty in the beginning. It's very uh, palatable. It loves to lead us astray. And so it's just small steps in the beginning until you get slaughtered at the slaughterhouse 10 miles down the road. You have to know what the truth is so you can compare it to the other eight truths. So we have to have a standard for knowing truth. If you have your truth and I have my truth, then whose truth is truth? And how do we appeal to the truth? Have y'all heard the word truth enough? <laughs> truth be told, right? Oftentimes we appeal to our feelings to figure out how we ought to think, right? We, 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 we use our feelings to validate what's right. I don't feel that's right. I got a gut in my feeling. Well, I tell you what, I, I, can you imagine somebody, can you imagine a plumber coming over your house and saying, I got a feeling about where this is at? No, you better know where it's at because you're expensive. I need to know where's it at. Because you and I, we feel one way today, we feel another way tomorrow. Be honest, have you ever changed your mind based off how you felt? We're sure. 
Have you ever pulled up in the parking lot and you got in the parking lot and you said, you know what, I don't know if I want to feel like going inside the church today. I'm new here. I've been here maybe once or twice. And you're thinking it through because you feel you don't know for sure. You don't know what it's like until you get in here. And so you're wrestling with these feelings. You don't know the absolute truth. The person next to you, the next car said, I can't wait to go inside because I know it's going to be inside. And I feel like God's going to do something good today. So we have one person who feels this way, another person that feels that way, and we're trying to understand what truth is. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you told yourself, I will never be back there again? Yeah? Until you got hungry and you changed the way you felt and you did, right? You said, I'll never eat that taquito from Casey's again, but you did because <laughs> you was hungry and your feelings changed things. Feelings are genuine, but they're not reliable. I know a lot of friends of my life who have tried to come to Christ through their intellect, very smart people. But we can't rely on intellect either to validate what truth is. Because see, intellect is, is changing constantly. We're constantly knowing stuff, new papers, new research. Did you know that 50 years ago, they had food that was okay that is not okay now? I remember, how many of y'all ever grew up with the Crisco can next to the stove. I guarantee you that in 1915, when Crisco came out, my grandma bought that first can, and it sat next to the grill and all its vintage, I mean, all to, the, to the oven, and all its vintage flair, and I'm pretty sure that when she died in 2020, they called it COVID. That was wrong. That was a lie. It was from Crisco. We all know. Because the very same grease she bought in 1915 was still there in 2020. But somehow they told us back then it was vegetable oil and it was okay. That ain't vegetable oil. That's some synthetic stuff. And so now we learn that's not, that's not good for you. Did you know 50 years ago, coffee didn't used to be good for you. They recommend you not have coffee. And now coffee's so good for you, they recommend you use it for enemas. We cannot rely on information, guys. We went from drinking it to other things. So, I mean, come on. So we can't rest on intellect. Oh, some of y'all right there today. We're always learning, and information is always changing. But neither can we rely on moral instincts. I think we would like to say, you know what, he's a good old boy. He knows what the right thing is to do, but he don't. He don't. We, we, we know we shouldn't murder. We know we shouldn't steal. We know we shouldn't lie. We know we shouldn't commit adultery. And, uh, and then things start to get gray, you know. In fact, the Word of God says that you and I, we have some moral laws written on our heart. We see in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the written law by nature do what the the law, the moral law, requires they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, the, the, the written law, Moses' law. And so you and I, we all have some kind of morality on our, our hearts. We know that it's there. But those things are not absolute truths either because we know that we are not good. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, that the heart that the law is written on is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it? So we know that our moral instincts can't guide us in our truth either. 
You can't decide what is true because you feel like that's a good moral thing. It's the right thing to do because your right, my right, may not be the same rights. So we can't rely upon that. And then there's the other thing called public opinion. <laughs> and if I got to explain to you why public opinion is not a good way to source truth. Uh, public opinion is controlled by the control of information, a.k.a. the narrative, and the narrative is controlled by whoever's controlling the information. And so whether it's, our, whether it's a government or an entity or a person, when those things change, the narrative changes, and so does truth change. So those things don't help us at all. So the real question is, is what is the source of truth? And what is, it, the, uh, what is the truth that you and I are going to live our lives by? Thankfully, the Word of God answers that. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. There's no other gods. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus refers to the only true God and then says in verse 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is, with about five Z's, is truth. Jesus makes the statement that the Bible is truth. And the fact that Jesus said it, that your word is truth, tells us we have to understand a few things. Number one, if Jesus is wrong, we're messed up. If Jesus says that the Bible, the word of God is the truth and it's not, that means we question him on our freedom. We question him on our salvation. We even question him on the fact that you might be a sinner or not a sinner because he said that we were, that we were all lost, right? That we all fall short of the glory of God. And so we have to understand that if we're going to accept Jesus to be our Christ, if he's going to be our Savior, then we have to trust him in his words for redemption as we do truth. That means that whatever the word of God tells us to do, it is Christ telling you to do that. And if you reject any part of his truth, you've rejected the very source of your salvation. Do you follow me? Because it's very easy for us to say, oh, Pastor Scott, I follow the Bible. I follow the Word of God. I do. That's the truth for me. But do you follow it holistically? Do you follow the whole Word of God? Or just that truth that benefits you? Like other people who subject themselves and say, that's a good truth. That's a good truth. That's a good truth. And we're over there piecing it together. If he's right, then the implication is staggering to you and I on how we view the Bible. 1 John 5.20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. Now, I need you to pull out your big fat marker and circle who is true, is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, uh, Jesus Christ. And he is the true God, eternal life. In fact, the Bible goes on to say in 2 John chapter 1, he goes, but also who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us will be a forever truth to love, walking in truth. Over in 3 John it says, whom I love in the truth, testify in the truth, walk in the truth, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. And then the last one says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We have also added our testimony and you know our testimony is true. I feel like John is, 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 is saying that the truth is important. The Bible says truth is important, and the reason why it's important is because the Word of God uses the truth as a fixed standard. It is validating against it. It's telling us how to walk. It's telling us how to love. It's telling us how to testify, and it's telling us how to work. If we do not know the truth of God's Word, how in the world do we know how to love, how to work, how to walk? You follow what I'm saying? 
We have to know the truth. That's why we have to read our word. It's not okay to have this thing just hanging out like an acquaintance or a third wheel in our life. How do you, one of these days, when you stand before the, the, the Lord, he's going to ask you, what did you do with the truth I gave you? And you're going to say, well, Lord, I, 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 knew, I read the Bible. And he's, you had a Bible in, in five places in your house. How come you don't know the truth? How come you didn't do what I asked you to do? How come you didn't walk? How come you didn't testify? How come you didn't work? How come you didn't love? How come you didn't allow it to validate your life and said you saw other things? And so why is this need for an unapologetic, non-compromising view about truth? And here's the reason why. We go right back to it in 1 John 5, 20. It says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Watch that. Who is true? Jesus, the Son of God, is true. God is not telling you truth when you read the Word of God. God is truth. You see, you and I, we can tell the truth maybe most of the time or sometime. Or I don't know about you. Maybe you're telling it all the time. But I know usually at some point in time, we don't always tell the truth. There's a difference between telling the truth and being the truth. And Jesus Christ is telling us that he is the truth. He, so when he speaks, it is the truth. He defines what truth is. He is the embodiment of truth is. Like the old saying goes, no God, no truth, K-N-O. No God, no truth. But no God, no truth, N-O God, N-O truth. Because without God, you have no idea what truth is truly is. It's, he's, he's truth by nature and not by practice. And sometimes that's where people want to associate the Word of God is that the, the Word of God is telling us what to practice in terms of truth. No. Can I tell you that we're not supposed to practice the truth of God? What? No, no, no. If Christ is in you, then his nature should be flowing out of you, and that truth should be who you are imminently. Not something we're trying to repeat or, or, or uh, be rhetorical towards. We're trying to actually allow the truth of his word to change us and transform us and not be conformed to this world, which is a lie. If you and I will plug our minds into this word and follow this one book, then truth will come out in our word, in our action, in our thoughts, in our integrity, and all aspects of our character. Because we have allowed him to change our very nature. And so we don't have to worry so much to say, is that true or is that not true? Because something inside of you should tell you in this culture that's not true. And church, I want you to know is that right now this may seem small. It may seem unimportant. But when I study history, the fact that mankind throughout the decades and centuries has been taught other truths contrary to very, their very reason and logic. I remember in Austria when socialism came through, they taught them that pink was purple. And they were not allowed to say it in any other way than just that. In fact, they changed the whole mathematics scale there. You had to add differently, and they knew that 2 plus 2 did equal 4, but they did not allow you to say that in public. And specifically that, look it up. And the reason why is because they wanted to break you down mentally, so that way when you saw other truths being diminished and, and, and uh, redefined, then you were not so um, uh, appalled at it. 
And I'm telling you, we, we have to not just know truth so we can compare truth. That we, we ought to be walking into a place or to a situation or to a conversation or a decision. And we don't have to so much go back to the Word to make sure there should be something in us that emanates truth. Because He is truth. And so we don't, we don't, we don't practice truth. We need to allow his nature to change our nature so that it might emanate. God always practices truth because he himself is truth. So then what is the implication if God is the embodiment of truth? Look at John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Notice this, that the way, the truth, and the life are all equal. They're all wrapped up in Jesus and his nature. And also in John 14, 17, 15, 26, 16, 13, and 1 John 4, 6, the Lord talks about how how he's given us the spirit of truth. And that's how we ought to know what truth truly is. So when we understand that God is truth, we understand why God cannot tell a lie. Titus 1, 2 says this, in hopes of eternal life, which God who never lies. Hebrews 6, 18 says, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Why is it impossible for God to lie? Because it's not in his nature to lie. He has no understanding of what lying is because when he speaks, he speaks the truth. You can't help but be a human being. You may try to emulate a bird. You may try to act like a worm. But at the end of the day, you're really just a human being because that's your nature. You can't do any other thing. And when God speaks, he can't do any other thing. He can't fail you. He can't tempt you. He can't lead you astray. He can't deceive you. He can't do those things that are not in his nature because God is truth. That's why you and I can depend on him. That's the reason why when we pray his word, when we pray the power of his word, we know absolutely that everything that he said is going to come to pass will come to pass. There's no question about it. There's no if, there's no maybe. It will come to pass. And so his word is as true as his nature. His word is as true as his nature. We see in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If God is truth, and God became the word, and the word was God, that therefore that means that the very God is very truth, and truth is very God. And the word is God, and the word is truth. And they're all up there having a big trinity party. <laughs> because that's how they do. And so not only is it truth because of its nature, not only is the Bible true because of uh, of its nature being truth, but it's also true because its author cannot tell a lie. 2 Peter 1.21, we read this last week. It says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. That meant that that if it was produced, that God produced it. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That when God speaks these words... They can be nothing other than the true word of God because he speaks his own nature when he speaks. Now, the question always I hear is this, but Pastor Scott, man was involved in that. Man translated that, man copied that, man put their spin on that. Yeah, but let me tell you something else. Man was also involved in the redemption plan. Man was also a part of, of Jesus coming down here on earth. Do you know that when Jesus come down here on earth, it was, it was the Holy Spirit who gave life, but it was Mary who offered up the egg. So here we have imperfect and perfect coming together. 
Matter of fact, it was so important that the Holy Spirit watched over to keep it that he would not allow Joseph to lay with Mary because he didn't want to contaminate the perfect egg, the perfection that was there. And so here we see the Holy Spirit watching over perfection until it's become full-born. And then when Christ comes out on the scene, he's, he can't die until it's his time. So the Holy Spirit's watching over that. When you read through your scripture, have you ever noticed that when Jesus is about to get stoned or thrown off the cliff, or they're, they're about to kill him, and somehow he just slips away through the crowd? How does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. I got a plan. And even though man is a part of the plan, I'll not allow man to corrupt the plan. And it's the same way with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has been watching over the Word from the very beginning. Yes, he used man to write it. Yes, he used man to copy it. Yes, he used man to preserve it. But all along, it was the work of God. It's never, never been inadequate. It's never been wrong. It's never lacked any. So is the Bible true? Yes, the Bible is true because its author is truth. And lastly, simply this, as Morgan comes, how truthful is the Bible? Well, it's pretty true. (laughs) It's inerrant is the word. There is no errors in it. But I want you to understand is the Bible is not a science book. It's not a, it's not a, a philosophical book. It's not a book about astronomy or geography. But every time, and this is what's important for you to understand, every time the Bible speaks on anything, it tells the truth. It's accurate every time, every time. In fact, one of the things I love to study is that you guys know probably in history class, one of the worst plagues throughout history is bubonic plague, right? The, 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 the death plague, and it killed, I think it was like 68 million people worldwide. Do you know that they had no idea on how to combat that, but it was the church that defeated that plague, And the reason is they went back to Leviticus and they learned some things. And the practices that God gave and the truth of his word concerning communal washings and what happens when someone dies, if he's sick and he has a disease, he has to go outside the camp, you got to burn that guy and bury him and, and do away with his stuff. That's how the church figured out how to overcome this plague. Because God's wisdom, see, God wasn't saying this is a book of medicine, but God, every time he speaks, he's speaking truth. Now, if every time God speaks, he's accurate, then what is he, where is he speaking into your life that you're not acknowledging as the truth? Because every time he speaks, he's accurate. But yet you and I, what we like to do is simply this. That's right, Pastor Scott. That's right. That's right. You know what I learned today? I learned that the Bible is the truth. Amen. But, but here's the thing. I'm so glad you agreed with me. But does your lifestyle say that? Do you live it out? If I follow you around, do you live every word of God out? Well, Pastor Scott, that's not, you know, I can't live out every word of God. Why not? Why not? When you go to God, don't you ask him for all of who he is? Or do you compartmentalize him? Lord, I need that forgiveness. You can keep that holiness. Lord, I need that righteousness. You can keep that sanctification. Do you ask God for aspects of his character? Or do you say, God, I need you. You. I need all of you. All of you. To change all of me. We dare not go to God. And say, Lord, I need freedom. and I need, I need, I need my debt to be paid from sin. I need healing. 
You know, I, I, I need to be able to walk, you know, with, without feeling shame and guilt. I need those things. And yet reject everything else. That is not how the Word of God works. But that's how we live most often. Because it's nice. It feels good. Matthew 4, 4, the devil comes to Jesus. He's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. He's tempting him. And he's coming to him. And he says, here's some stones. Take these stones and make them bread. And here's how Jesus replies to the enemy. He says, Matthew 4, 4, it is written. Now notice this. Jesus could appeal to any other thing that he wanted to. Yes, he is the son of God. Yes, he's capable of doing those things. And yes, he is hungry. Maybe he could justify that. But, but Jesus appeals to one thing, and he says, it is written. Scripture matters. And then he continues to say this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice the connection. It is written in every word. We know what God's thoughts are. We know what his word says. The question is, are we living by every word? Every word. You're free from your debt of sin. You're free to live a life more abundantly. You're healed by his stripes. You're blessed. You're an overcomer. You're seated in, in the heavenly places. You're a child of the king. You're a new creation. But what are the things that you're not tapping into? Let me ask you, are you living by the truth of God's word? And if you don't mind, allow me to let Romans speak to you this morning. Oh, Paul, he loves to gouge us. He says, I'm almost there. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. If we are living by every word, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, and do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if none of that gouges you, let me just continue on. The first verse of 13 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God who exists and has been instituted by God. Are you, are, are you are you prostituting? the truth of Scripture. Using it for what benefits you when you want it to benefit you. 
But when you're done with that truth, you kick it to the curb. And the rest of the Word of God is compelling us and demanding us that if we accept any part of His Word, we've accepted every part of His Word because we are not accepting words on a page. We are accepting Jesus who sits at the right hand throne of the Father. And so truth is not just something that we confetti our lives with, but it is something that rules us. It demands our behaviors, our thoughts, and our actions. Do you accept the truth of God's Word? Do you walk in the truth of God's Word? It's 11.19. Here's what I want to do today. I just want to create some time because I've spoken, but I think the Holy Spirit needs to speak to you. So you can come to the altar, you can turn in your pew there, whatever you need to do. But here's the question I want you to ask, and I want you to wait. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, God, where am I not following? Where am I not embracing your truth? me. Where is that at? Would you take some time and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you?